Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Movies in a Podshell. You'll notice my voice is back to 100%. I am joined as usual by the original replicant. You can call him Johnny. How you doing, John? The original replicant? Yeah, so we're covering Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm quite offended if you think I'm not real. But then, this is the question. <laughs> I, see, I, see, I, I see why you could be offended by yeah, that. But then, this is the real question that we're going to be tapping into today with sentiency is, what does it mean to be real? If you're a robot and you have implanted thoughts, are you real? Are you not? Are you a person? This is the podcast where we grab a theme, the theme being sentiency, and we pair it with a couple of films, this week's films is going to be Blade Runner and Prometheus. Just like Johnny said, we're talking about sentiency. My question to you later on is going to be, if something has sentiency, aka an android, like Data from Star Trek, for example, if something can develop feelings, if it can feel like Ex Machina, is it as important as a human being? What if it's a Cylon, like in Battlestar Galactica? Is it as important as us, John? These are the deep and meaningful questions. That, do you know what? That sounds like quite a bold entrance to the pod. I don't feel we're ever that grand normally. But then we are talking about two like massive science fiction films which deal with large issues which people have replicate, uh, replicated. Oh, wrong word. Have uh, uh, People have taken different readings of Blade Runner. They At the time, they had tried to apply it to Apartheid. And the way that yes. they were treated. So there's a whole like different read of it then. And Ridley Scott kind of said, no, it's not about that. It's about replicants and humans. But he said he understands that people will try and apply it to different situations. Or, sorry, in different scenarios that are happening at the time. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that we could carry on being just a, another random podcast. Or we could try, and, try our hardest uh, deep down and to ask the moral questions of... Uh, these these crazy things. I mean, maybe people are going to hate this because they just want a stupid little video podcast. But and that's what this is. We're stupid as well. Hold on. Why did we not go through the deeper meaning of life in the Uncle Buck episode? Is what everyone's really, really asking. Because Mr. Bean's your favourite comedy. That's why. And there's enough said about that, John. It's been only a few days because we're getting one in the bag. What have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely nothing i've literally we recorded do you know what i'm gonna break break the behind the scenes of what happens in the in the break the fourth wall yeah see what happens in the podcasting world so what actually happened was we record on friday night it is currently tuesday night and Mm -hmm. i have not watched anything apart from the formula one was on at the weekend that's not a film that's not even a tv show really Uh, no but senna is good Senna is very good and the Schumacher one genuinely actually I'll talk about that the Schumacher one is coming out and I'm really excited for that and it's I believe it's the same producers who do Drive to Survive which is an excellent series I've not even watched an Atypical so I can't even have my two minute little gush over how amazing Atypical is with you so I've not even watched anymore and the actually the only thing I watched that week that weekend after we last spoke was my dad said, when we have lunch, why don't we watch uh, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? But what's really funny is I told him to start watching from season three onwards because that's when it gets good. But he's finished all of that now. He's finished all of those series. So now he's gone back right to the start where it's really, really ropey. We need to check out Voyager because that's the best 
Star Trek oh, for me. Oh, I mean, yeah, anyway. I love the premise that they, they get flung out into the middle of space, have no idea where they are, and they've got to get back. Love, I love the idea of that. The only problem was with that, they really quickly decided they didn't want a dark TV show and then went away from it all. Because the first few episodes are like, how are we going to have water? How are we going to have electricity? And then very quickly, it's like they have a different shuttle every week, despite the fact I'm being so nerdy. But if you really want a survival series like that, that's why the Battlestar Galactic series was so good, because it really went hard in on realistic sci-fi like they haven't got enough water there's a, a a ship there which makes the oil and the fuel for all the ships but it's basically slave labor but if they don't yeah. do it they're gonna die so, and that was ronald d moore same writer who was heavily inspired by blade runner so nice link jamie i like that well no nice link <laughs> you because i never would have got there uh so what have you been watching because i know you've actually watched something well do you know so after uh, uh like i guess a, a busy week on Saturday, I finally got round to installing my surround sound. So I currently have a 3.1 because I'm going to wait and install the other two speakers, my rear speakers. I'm going to install them afterwards because we've just got a couple of little wee bits to do in the living room. It hasn't been the most pain-free process has it, so far for you. I did have a, almost have a breakdown to Johnny. Um, I think I voice noted him like borderline having a breakdown about how... Um, it was my day off and uh, it took me so, so long. And yeah, it, it didn't like it. It wasn't nice. But do you know what? We are loving life. And it's tell so you what, it. I watched Prometheus. Oh my, the room was shaking. The next door neighbors are going to be <laughs> wondering what the hell, like if there's a real spaceship in my house. But you asked what I was watching and I digress loads. So I've watched quite a wee bit, actually. So I watched probably the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. Not even good in a bad way, like not even like in a good, like good in a like really trashy bad way. Shock. I watched Microwave Massacre, right? What? And I just fancied something like pretty trashy after I watched Prometheus. Um, 76 minutes long. <laughs> I mean, that's a tight running time. <laughs> you know, I love 90 minutes, but 76 minutes, I was like, do you know what? Yeah, I can get, get in before bed. It's basically about a, a construction worker who's, um, he's trying to get good, like he's having a hard time getting anything good to eat. Um, because his his wife's only decided to um, cook gourmet foods. Um, what a hard life it must be for I know, the man yeah, who's yeah, only yeah. been providing gourmet so, food. So that and her and listen, this is the synopsis. This is not me. That and her constant harping causes him to snap. So he whacks her. Somewhere in the confusion, he comes up with a new use for the microwave oven and begins to eat much better. Believe no, it or not, he's, he's a starts eating people um so he's been experimenting with different recipes and different meats jesus it is oh geez it is awful can i ask a question how did you come across this film did you own it is it a rental no 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 i don't own it no god so there is an arrow release which i have held it's on the criterion collection it's been a hd remaster no no it's um it's on arrow video um i but so it's on they've released the blu-ray of it i actually just watched it on prime saw it look trashy i do you know me i love a trashy horror um it was garbage like yeah i'm not let's not talk about it anymore avoid at all costs listeners then I watched, oh, so I did a little event on Instagram was um, Wake Me Up When the Sadness oh, Ends. Oh, Jamie, you were started and I saw Perks Being a Warflower again. It was all flooding back. Yeah. <laughs> so I watched The Perks of Being a Warflower, which is honestly, is it definitely, still as good? 
Ah, oh, so it's the second time I've seen it, and it is absolutely wonderful. We spoke about it on the pod before. Like we have, sorry. It's in the, from the nineties. Like so, so it's, it was made in two thousand twelve, but it's based in the nineties. Um, it was from a book. Um, so basically about a high school high schooler. Um, and he's, you know, something's bad's happened to him, or he's he's gone. He's, he he describes it as I felt um, I was getting bad again. Um, and he describes it through the film. He he finds these like misfits that are like. I like it. and it sounds like dead cliche and he, he gets in with them it's got emma watson um the same writer of the book actually directed it um you can tell but yeah it's 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 just it's just about high school life and it there's nothing really more to it than that but it's the way it's written it's got so many like immortal lines like the lines in that film are just incredible like so quotable like you talk about mean girls and stuff this is i feel like this is the oppressive um melancholic mean girls like it's it's fantastic it's probably the more realistic version of mean girls right it's it's showing those clicks and and actually how it works but in a in a a more realistic portrayal Um, broke me broke me yeah i think some of the needle drops in that film are absolutely amazing just it is yeah well they play l7 pretend that we're dead like that's one of like one of my faves but i just i think the score is all, incredible all of it there's a really good oh, i can't remember if it was on spotify or apple but there was like someone who put together the playlist of all the tracks and mixed it in the score so it's all in the correct order uh, and it was like really 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 cool i but love people that do that there's um when i listen to any of those songs now if i hear any of those songs i associate all of them with that film yeah and you know when it's got the Bowie it's, song as well, isn't it? The when when uh, yeah. Emma Watson's out of the out of the yeah car. But you know, if a needle drop, if you're thinking of the film that much, it's been done well. Because when you get a bad needle drop, you don't think of it. Do you know what I mean? It's if it's been done well, and you're like, I yeah, can, like you no. said, the imagery in the tunnel of going through. And anyway, absolutely no, hundred percent. And then I started putting the the new surround sound, the Blu-ray player to the test. Um, I watched Train to Busan. Have you heard of this one, John? No. So this is a Korean film. It's a zombie film. Um, it is amazing. So um, it's basically uh, a state of emergency is declared when a mysterious like like viral outbreak sounds like dead generic. Um, and they're sort of this this man who's a businessman. He's on a train with his daughter um, going to take his daughter to his wife who he split up from. And he's a bit of a coward. Like he's a bit really selfish. Um and they basically must fight for survival. This, the character development in this film is so, so good. And I really must mention um, the daughter in the film. Um, her name is uh, Kim Suan, and she is incredible. Like, from a ch- for a child actor, we say that we can't, it's hard to find good child actors because Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone we say it's hard to find good child actors. Not in Korea, it's not, apparently, because this little girl is oh, incredible. Let it go, mate. Let I did it, it again. Never letting it go. And then finally, Fatal Attraction. I watched this. Um, Never seen it. No. Well, I. it's a thriller, like an erotic thriller. Is it um, similar level of basic instincts and... Yeah, basic instinct, hand that rocks the cradle, that kind of, that kind of vibe. Um, directed by Adrian Lin, who also directed Jacob's Ladder. Um, definitely his style like re- he's really good at building tension there's some like horror elements it's, it's so good the one thing I could not get my head around and I don't know if this is a bad thing or not I just couldn't get my head around Michael Douglas cheating on his drop dead gorgeous wife with Glenn Close who 
looks about 45 in the film, like, um, and just is, his wife is drop dead gorgeous. And he's gone and cheated on her with Glenn Close, who looks quite ghoulish. I'm sorry. Maybe he's one of those anything that's different guys, like uh, Stewie says in Family Guy. Do you remember that? I think think like, uh, I'm sure Peter's like looking out the window uh, (laughs) like someone else. He's like, oh, (laughs) I know I'm going to misquote it. I was going to say get a clip, but that's going to be impossibly hard. He's like, oh, you're you're anything else, anything that's different kind of guy, right? And it's just like, maybe that's Michael Douglas in the film. Well, apparently, Michael, it seems that Michael Douglas is that guy because I just felt terrible for his wife because she was so lovely throughout the whole film but maybe but maybe it was meant to be that right maybe it was meant to be that this definitely this guy's definitely the guy that had fillet steak at home and went out and had beans on toast that's what i'm saying um i don't know if i'll get in trouble for that but this is the world we live in so apart from that the one thing i did want to mention amazing pairing for falling down if you stop fatal attraction halfway through and while this woman's harassing him and switch on falling down incredible transition really good transition of michael douglas okay. love that anyway i guess it's time we and i must say again i know i mentioned last episode merely three four days ago the the mr postman's mailbag was full but trust me it's even fuller this week and it's lovely we, we it might get to a point john where we have to start curating the questions Picking and choosing, Ooh. slashing, like throwing questions out. Imagine that. Do you Saving think, some for next week. It's weird how the mailbox got fuller after I just said, if anyone asks me any more comfortable questions, I won't be responding. And then suddenly we have like loads of people messaging. Maybe that's the key. Maybe that is the key. I, I mean, yeah, very much. I mean, you squirmed last episode a little bit. I did. But it I was it was an extremely fun episode. It seems and it, to have gone any- down well as well, actually. So... It seems to have gone down very well. We we might be doing something right, eh? But all of you listeners, because I see the numbers every week. I see them numbers. I see yous. Well, let us know. Like, write in. Because a lot of yous don't write in. And he's a little just shadow listeners. I love that. But you know where you can write in, don't you? Well, Johnny, where do they write in? At movies in a nutshell? No. <laughs> this is, and this you? is why I'm the host. And this is why I'm the host. <laughs> that is your instagram surely yeah no it's my instagram but i was meaning the the gmail so you can write in on gmail um at movies in a pod shell uh, dot com at gmail.com yeah we've balls this up no wonder no one writes in can't we're an enigma no one can get hold of us um but you can also find me at movies in a nutshell on instagram and johnny where can they find you at jcb.video and to be fair i have had some more people adding me recently so I can tell there's either new people to the pod or maybe we've been plugging more. I've had people that have had me that are like set to private. Dead what? weird. I Dead don't know weird. what that set means. To pri- can't even look at their can't even look at their account because maybe they're just yeah looking for that um, that amazing content. <laughs> they look better look somewhere else. Just to see some guy banging on about perks of being a wallflower every every few weeks and dirty dancing and dirty dancing. Um, <laughs> right, John. Why did we choose Blade Runner this week? Tell me. We mentioned it briefly on the last pod. Um, well we went to go and see uh, Blade Runner in front of a live orchestra which we talked about briefly on the last pod we did and it was genuinely amazing it was so good and what I I think we said this last episode it's so nice to do something normal but also seeing it in that kind of environment Blade Runner is a film which has like it is actually quite a slow pace like there's no way you could argue it's not a slowly paced film 
uh, 100% and on that. seeing yeah. it in an environment where everyone was actually concentrating on it, not on their phones, and just being engaged with it and really taking it in. And it had subtitles on. I think again, apologies for repeating last episode, but the fact that it um, there's parts of the story that I'd missed. I've seen Blade Runner about 15 times or something multiple versions and there's certain bits where i was like oh i never quite clocked that and also jamie seen i've read a book which is called building future noir which is about the size of a bible and it's like the history of blade runner so i'm not a casual fan i'm pretty intense with it so it was yeah great to see it in well, a different light but before we go any further we should probably say what should what what should we say well this is ridley scott's classic this is Ridley Scott's classic. Are you wanting me? To, were you asking me if I could tell you the synopsis? Well, the synopsis is actually pretty amazing. Like it's, it's and it's really straightforward. As as the film has many many sort of like deeper running themes, but the synopsis is simply dystopian Los Angeles, um, twenty nineteen. Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, is a Blade Runner, um, and he's called out of retirement um, to terminate four replicants which are what we would describe as androids um, who have escaped to Earth seeking um, the person that created them to extend their short lifespans. I think they, they live for four years. Yeah, the Nexus 6 models last for four years and that's so Roy Batty is, is the uh, Rutger Hauer's character we, we meet. He's like the main, the leader of, of the band of the four, isn't he? He's like the warrior model, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, as we know, uh, Blade Runner directed by Ridley Scott, released in 1982. Here's a little clip. I need your deck. This is a bad one. The worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants, three male, three female. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty. Probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman. The Terrell Corporation. Right, John. So... I know you've seen it way so this this episode is mostly going to be led by you I think because oh dear. you've got you know way more about Blade Runner and Prometheus than me um, so tell me about your relationship with Blade Runner I think I, I always like to start with where we saw it first and how we felt about it at the time so I'm going to I'm going to lead with that I think the first time I saw Blade Runner was on VHS it was it was a very long time ago and I remember yes. it was the director's cut uh, because it had the black artwork on the box it was from Woolworths <laughs> of well, course well getting a double mention, eh? mention last episode as well and, bring them back yeah. and uh i watched with my dad and in the director's cut there is no there, there in that director's cut there was no voiceover i believe i don't well, i might be wrong but anyway in the version the first version i saw no the first version i saw had no the first time i saw it was the theatrical cut which had the voiceover and a lot of people said that Really, Scott never wanted the voiceover. Just so you know, that wasn't true. He just couldn't get it to work. He said that Harrison Ford didn't like the voiceover and he felt like it wasn't very effective. But the reason they did it was because Apocalypse Now had just come out, which had an amazing voiceover, which everyone loved. So they were right. trying to go off that. So it's not the fact that he didn't want it. 
it's just sometimes in films things don't work and they couldn't get it to work and because Harrison Ford wasn't into it he said the delivery just wasn't quite there but Harrison Ford denies he personally did it badly it just didn't really work anyway um yeah so I watched it with my dad and I'll be honest the first time I saw Blade Runner I don't think I loved it because I I was young and I don't remember thinking it's not a very action-packed film and stuff. I remember being wowed by the opening shot of the... Um, you get a really basic text font at the start, which gives the lore and the legend of like the world. It says about what the replicants are and basically how we're treating them as slave labour. I love that. Do you that- know why it was that font, though? Not even... Well, go on, go on. So Ridley Scott says he used such a handsome font, but also a very basic one, because he didn't want to take away... Because it's literally white text on a black backdrop with a few bits highlighted in red. The reason he didn't do anything else was because he wanted everyone to be completely in awe of the special effects shot, which came afterwards. So by having Ah, a really minimal kind of setup, it would kind of set the expectations low, and then, boom, LA 2049, or whatever it is. Sorry, no, it's not... 2019. 2019, sorry. And then... Oh, like, look how amazing this all looks. And I think we can all agree that was a very good tactic. Anyway, before I run on and rave on anymore, do you remember the first time you saw it? Yeah, like, and, and to be honest, it wasn't that long ago, really. Like, it was only maybe, like, 10 years ago. Um, that's so, Yeah, okay, so, uh, yeah, that's pretty late in the day. 10 years ago, so... Yeah, but okay, so yeah. so I, I knew it was a classic. Obviously, growing up, I knew it was a, cl- a classic. You see Blade Runner everywhere, don't you? So yeah. obviously, I was well into sci-fi as well, like, but more, I guess, action sci-fi. So Terminator, yeah. to like that noir, that you know the 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 tech noir kind of um, look, the cyberpunk kind of look. So obviously, Blade Runner was one of the first films that did that. Like we yep. talk like. I mean, they took it like and ran with it. You, you can mention stuff like Metropolis from the thirties, Fritz yeah. Lang, but the, like Blade Runner was the cult hit that kind of brought all of it together and created this realized like world that felt real. I watched it maybe ten years ago, stre- probably streamed it actually, or I think I might have downloaded it. Um, it well, if it was, I think the final cut was. Was it 2007 they did that? So Yeah, so I, I think... I, I don't know whether it was the final cut. I think my might have been original. Even still. So I watched it and felt very similar to you. Like, I think I fell asleep. I'm going to be honest. I fell asleep after about an hour. Cause I, I was expecting this, like, action sci-fi... You know when you when you read that, right? When you read that, Rick... Uh, Richard Decker or Rick... Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Is it Rick or Richard? I only ever know him as Decker. I never okay, feel about so his first name, but yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Decker's a Blade Runner and he's... he's he's fighting like four replicants in the future i'm like oh my god that sounds amazing and a lot of people at the time got annoyed because they said hey we've just watched star wars and there's this space cowboy guy who's really charismatic and then he's also indiana jones he's box office star at this point then he does blade runner where basically he's a depressed alcoholic who hates his job he's great though isn't he he's brilliant but at the time people weren't ready for it and like the worldview of blade runner was too much for a lot of people and also, as much as I like Blade Runner, it's not a very clear narrative. In terms of the actual, the way the plot unravels, it's not an yeah. easy watch. Like, no, I enjoy not, it, no, it's absolutely not. but I think that's what people could, probably couldn't cope with. And I'm not doing, I'm trying, well, I'm trying not to do, because I hate people who say, oh, you didn't understand it, and da 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 But I do think there was an element of that at the time. I do think it wasn't a very clear, it wasn't like, 
absolutely. think that's why they added the voiceover to try and make it clearer but if anything it just kind of made it worse so anyway yeah i mean on a very surface level like it does have a simple story but it has like such deep themes so 100%. The, yeah he is about uh he is a bounty hunter going to decommission four four androids um that want that are desperate to live and that's when we talk about that we can talk about the sentience here the reason why they they only get a four-year lifespan is because they will get too smart they will learn too much so that's when that's why when they're designed after four years it's kaput like year 2000 computer don't work anymore apparently um, that's it that's it and, and on a surface level, like that's what it is. But then, but then there's all of these deeper themes, like and so identifying the replicants for the the Turing test, and like the the world that Ridley Scott's created is unreal. And a really interesting point. This is going to link into our link film later, which is Prometheus, as you all know. Um, Ridley Scott said when he he made Alien just before this, so he'd done the Duelist, was his first film. Then he did Alien, which was uh, shot in England. This was shot in America. There were a load of production issues with this film on the sense of it was his first Hollywood film and Ridley Scott used to just jump on the camera and with unions, you're not allowed to do that. So he had to learn to take a back seat. The American crews hated him because he worked very, very long hours. Uh, and, <laughs> and you think about Blade Runner, nearly every scene it's raining and it's miserable. So I think it was quite an oppressive environment to work and film in. And I think that's why... It had a bit of a bad rap initially. It also went over budget. But what I was trying to say was it, Alien was a much smaller movie, really, with a smaller budget, less expectation. But because Alien had become successful, he kind of built up this uh, rapport and there was an expectation of what he'd do next. And he said he saw uh, Blade Runner as the world where the ship from Alien went from. Now, there's going to be some links later, which yes. I, I don't want to go into now because I think it's more relevant to uh, to Prometheus. Absolutely. However, in his head, yes, that um, there's even a bit when they have the future police cars, don't they, which are the, called the spinners. And when they take off in the spinner, it says three, two, one, red screen comes on, purge. That's the same screen, a diagnostic that comes up in Alien during the flight sequence so for nerdy rubbish like that i am your man but um, the fact that he did that was because he said he can imagine the crew of the nostromo dropping into la for a night and going to the dodgy underground bar where deckard was and so it was an extension of that he was really inspired by 2001 a space odyssey because it was the first time space looked real and you can tell and you can tell but then he liked star wars because star wars was um the dark kind of grungy lived in world he wanted to put the two together, so he made Alien, and he described it as like the Rolling Stones version of 2001 and Star Wars, which I 100% get. Love that. Yeah. Love that. And, then, and then Blade Runner is, is a continuation of that, and the fact that they're made back-to-back is why there's so many links, I think, with the ideas and themes. Uh, and Greatest yeah. back-to-back films ever made, maybe. For me, to be honest, I'd say yes. Reservoir Dogs, I, Pulp Fiction... I think I'm biased because Alien captured me, and again, we'll talk about this later, but Alien captured me at an age where I knew about that film about four years before I was allowed to watch it, but that's what fascinated me. Thing. Like, yes, I absolutely just, your thing. I can't, like, as a kid, I loved dinosaurs, and then it was like, hey, there's a xenomorph, <laughs> and it looks a bit like a, you know, it looks a bit like a velociraptor or whatever, and I was like, I am in 100%, but I was like, you're not old enough, you're not going to watch it, you can't watch it, you can't watch it, and then there was the day when you could watch it, and it was just like... To me, it's probably as big a deal as the first day I was able to have a beer. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like up there for like levels of being that invested in it. And I used to draw them all the time. Anyway, 
Um, you used to draw dinosaurs all the time. Yeah, and and alien, like literally just over and over, like a weirdo. Um, yeah. So sorry, I, go on. You carry on. You co- you go. You're on. You're on a flow, man. No, flow. all I was going to say was that um, Ridley Scott actually wanted to film in Hong Kong, but he couldn't because costs. Um, and that's why the 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 environment is pretty much like they call it like a neo neo noir, almost like a neo no. Well, yeah, neo. It is a neo noir, but they 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 described it as like neo Japan. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, almost 100%. like. The way it's like, uh, looks quite like you Tokyo. Say China, near, yeah. It's, uh, it's... No, Hong, Hong Kong is where he wanted to shoot because he said at that point he said there wasn't. He said it almost looked. No offense, this is from the words of really Scott. He said at the time it had like an even uh, like a medieval quality. So okay. he said he could take that and do the kind of street scenes and then add big uh, yeah. buildings in the backdrop, either through yeah. map paintings or some um, rear projection or what have you. Um, so I thought that was really cool but also that's why Jamie you are right they shot on a back lot in Hollywood because they couldn't afford to do they couldn't afford to shoot it away but that's why there is so much smoke and rain in Blade Runner it's to hide the back lot because Ridley Scott Ah. hated the fact he was on this set and he said basically you've got one street and it's the same street redressed and moved around like in 15 different permutations throughout the film or what have you so the the way to cover that up is by having everything's if you notice on the street scenes it's usually quite tight it's never very wide so you don't really get a sense of geography of where you are and then on top of that you add in the smoke you add in the rain and you can kind of throw people off of what's actually going on um so yeah i mean yeah i'm like as i said i very very this is the best time i've ever seen this film and i Mm -hmm. think what he achieved like I didn't realise it wasn't received very well. Like it was mixed, no. mixed reception, and it didn't make that much money either. No. So I think it, um, the production budget was twenty eight million, and then it grossed thirty two point nine. I think he went over budget as well, though, didn't he? I think it was supposed to be twenty eight mil. I don't. I think the final thing was closer to, in my mind. I don't know how far he went over, but I know the special effects budget went over. Yeah. Well, so it was, well, and so anyway, no wonder because it looks incredible. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like we kept saying, I know we joked about it last pub, which was it still looks amazing now. Though I know on the final cut, there's been some restoration in terms of there's. I don't believe there's added CG apart from the scene where um, someone gets their eyes popped in. But aside from that, the rest of it's just kind of a good transfer and a and a few clear ups here and there. Um, yeah. Just wanted to say. I know we're not doing play-by-play, but in the start, when you see the massive eye and you see the reflection and the, and the fire's going off, you know, yeah. right? Like Sauron, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, very I'm much joking. so. But um, it was actually, uh, he said it was the Orwellian feeling he wanted to generate, which is there's an all-seeing eye. There's only like, th- he had the idea there was like three major corporations that were in charge of everything. And yeah. at all times, Deckard is like he's being watched because people just turn up and tell him what's going on all the time. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, he's never really yeah, yeah. alone or not interrupted by someone, whether it's Rachel, whether it's the police or what have you. So, yeah. Well, thank you for all of that. That was uh, that was lovely to hear because there was a load of stuff in there that I hadn't heard either. The So, the, I mean, I guess what I was going to talk about a little bit is how um, what Ridley Scott did with Jordan Cronenworth, like how what that inspired like in terms of like oh, films afterwards 
Yeah, someone, well, not someone, David Fincher described Jordan Cronenworth, and this is relevant because Jordan Cronenworth was the original cinematographer of Alien 3 because, like, (laughs) David Fincher worked with his son on music videos, but he was obsessed with the idea of working with his dad because he said his dad, people saw light in 2D, he saw it as 3D chess pieces, so... In, in films, you notice you never film flat against a wall because there's no depth. And in, in film, you are always trying to give depth. So you shoot to the corner of a room, have a person in the middle, and you've got a sense of space because you can see the, the space of the room, right? Yeah. He said Jordan Cronenworth could light spaces with volumetric lighting, which means you have light coming through shafts and areas and spaces to make it really clear like what the depth is within a scene. That's what a real cinematographer can do. They can really convey that sense of like space. And I'm talking about 3D, not as in a 3D conversion, but like giving the illusion of depth on the screen. Jordan Cronenworth could do that in spades. And I, I mean, if you watch Alien 3, there's like three scenes that I know Cronenworth did. And it does stand out differently to other scenes he's not done, if you see what I mean. And in Blade Runner, it is just gorgeous. Like the, the use of light... Um, throughout, like even even just they have the, you know, they have the searchlights going yeah, throughout well, yeah. and trying like to give god, this, god rays yeah god rays con- consistently but kind of giving the idea of you're being watched at all times and ridley said oh actually it's because every building has a beacon on the top to let the flying cars know it's there and there's a so much thought was put behind the world um however we are going a bit off base i think we should talk about like uh so when deckard sent to kill these four replicants on route he he meets the maker of them all which is tyrell and when he goes to meet him, uh, Tyrell says, I want to use your your test uh, of seeing if this person's a replicant on, on Rachel. And when we meet Rachel, we are not sure if she's a replicant or not. And we find out that she is. But she, it, the whole film is about her getting uh, growing to terms with the fact that her whole life is a lie. She has implanted memories from Tyrell's granddaughter. And none of it's, none of it's real. And it's kind of questioning... If she believes she is real and those are her memories and she even falls in love in this film and she's feeling these things, does that make her any less of a human than a human, right? And Tyrell's model was the idea was more human than human, isn't it? That's their that's their corporate catchphrase in the, in yeah. the film. So that's where we kind of get onto our themes, really, for the pod. Yeah, and uh, it's a theme that has been, I think, when did it start occurring to me? iRobot, maybe. If yeah. something that isn't real, and you've even got th- films, that I'm, and really, I should have mentioned Her. Have you seen Her with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson? Uh, is that the... the... She's, she's a uh, artificial intelligence, like Google Home, pretty much. <laughs> mm. You should check that out. It's what's, really what's good. What's the one? What's the one when she's an alien? Not that one. Oh, oh, under the skin. That's it. It's oh, not that one. Got under my skin. Film. Yeah, everyone no, knows no. I hate it. But um, yeah. Sorry. Um, her. It's called her, and she's an artificial intelligence. It. Anyway, like, so for me, like when I when I started watching stuff like Battlestar Galactica, and I guess there's there's loads of other ones. Ex Machina is like probably the Ex Machina is probably the most obvious choice. Um, really in all of very this. good it is um, it's really good yeah I, I've, I've very much loved it i must say that i adored Battlestar galactica throughout its whole run i think it's one of the best tv shows i've seen and it, it also was a big social commentary on the war of iraq but 
Um, it did play a lot with the Blade Runner ideas. They had yeah. characters who had children that were half Cylon, so essentially half replicant, half human. What's that mean? Are yeah. they a person? Are we, you know... It's, yeah, it's... The thing is, you, you mentioned earlier the Alan Turing test, which is, like, testing the artificial intelligence of computers, right, to see have they, you know... What am I trying to say? Have they have they become independent thinkers yet, or? Well, you can you can look at um, you can also mention Terminator, which yeah, is like yeah. huge, like huge when they when the computers decide that they don't want to be switched off. And also, really weirdly, in the latest Terminator film in Dark Fate, the Terminator's decided he's fallen in love, hasn't he? Arnie's spoilers for Terminator Dark Fate. Arnold Schwarzenegger's been in disguise as a blind salesman for years and fell yeah. in love with some. Somewhere. I love that. I think that's funny. Um, oh, it's so random. But anyway. I guess, yeah, I, I guess uh, I, it's such a hard one. And I want to talk more about it when we get to talking about David in Prometheus as well. Because yeah, for me, I guess, well, so in, for example, like you have like um, Japanese religion, um, Shintoism, and they believe that everything has a soul Um like everything has like a spiritual essence called kami. So like mountains, rivers, places, inanimate objects, every single thing has like a spiritual um, a spiritual essence. And if something decides that it can start feeling or it feels it feels something that feels sad or it starts like making decisions on its own, that kind of thing, it very much is a massive moral um question of like is it as important as a human being a hundred percent and also what makes you uncomfortable in blade runner is it makes it clear from the start that they're in the worst jobs in society so they are slave labor like ridley said that himself in the commentary which is they are um we only see in the film i'm sure there's male ones as well but they're they're pleasure models that are sent off world for one purpose um in the nightclub we see what purpose is that john in the nightclub, we see um, <laughs> the exotic dance and, and all that. And yeah. um, they picked one element from the book, which is in in the book, which Jamie and I have both read. I quite liked it. Jamie hated it. <laughs> which was that um, you, they can't afford real animals. Like, the idea is we've messed up the world so much yeah. that there's not many real animals left. And if you want to buy the most expensive animal to buy is a sheep but the cheaper yeah. ones are snakes and there's kind of a three line in the film which is one of the replicants has a snake and that's how uh, Decker tracks them down um, but yeah with with Rachel Rachel has like a childlike innocence and she's only her we don't know in the film how long her life cycle is if it's the same as Roy Batty and, and Pris and those guys and that's kind of the through line of the film is she's trying to work out what what does it mean to be alive or what have you and then when Deckard falls in love with her he questions himself he questions the fact of am I a replicant because he thinks about all his memories and one of his memories or one of his dreams is a unicorn which is a very otherworldly strange thing and also in Blade Runner you don't see any grass apart from in the original cut with the terrible Stanley Kubrick ending from The Shining um, but you know aside from that he the world is very oppressive isn't it it's very um, what am I trying to say uh, industrial and built up so why would he have such an outlandish idea in his head it seems fake and 
We never actually found out the sequel, Blade Runner 2049, if he was or wasn't. It kind of left it up to you to decide again. I'm kind of glad it did, to be honest. 100%. Because it you would don't never wanna... have been... Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because, like, they said, obviously it's got um, maybe the the hottest working director today in terms of that kind of thing, yeah. like Dennis Villeneuve, like, and and the the hottest working cinematographer, yeah, uh, Roger Deakins, and I, don't, I feel like no one else really could have pulled it off. Hundred percent. And what I'd say with this is, from reading the Future Noir book, is I think it started with Ridley didn't think he was a, a replicant, then got to like the idea he could be, but then him and the writers disagreed on it. So to this day, the 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 original writer of the film does not believe that he is, and Ridley believes he, that Deckard is a replicant. There is an argument of does it matter or not? Does it change the reading of the film? Does because, it matter or not? Because it, does it does, is a replicant living or not? And is this, that what is that what we're saying? And I think that layer actually adds a lot to the film. The being able to read it either way, I think honestly, it's a bit like something we'll get onto in Prometheus. Part of the funds, they're not knowing. When it's actually explained, it's never I what you so. want. And I think what the biggest problem we have in Hollywood now with prequels or semi-reboots is the idea of oh let's explain that thing there's certain things which work because they're not explained and they're a mystery and the more you go back and tap that market and you know the more the more you tell us the less scary it is like alien works because in alien it's an alien you don't know what it is and any backstory of like how that how that's come to life is never gonna live up to the expectation of what we thought at the time and, yeah, and that's uh, yeah. part of the problem with that film as much as I will I'll glow over it later but I will you know that's part of the problem anyway uh, I'm going slightly off track so I'll throw it back to you before I detour further into the Prometheus territory well for, well for me I guess I don't really have um a great a great more deal to say about Blade Runner because it's not like you like you say you've seen it 15 times I take what I have from it I've got a lot to say about the both of the themes and when we get onto prometheus we've got loads of questions let it's me more let me throw on. something at you then okay so i know you love roy batty because i know you love the speech at the end i've even done a quote of it on the pod only two episodes ago as an impression and by the way when we watched it at um thingy i was so happy with my impression being bang on as we were watching it at simply hall um yeah and, and if you want to know the the quote um the like the quote is uh so he says and and this again, this is probably probably my favorite quote in any film ever because of I've, I've said it before, like because of the gravity of it and because of what it means. And he says, "I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion, shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the near in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. It's gorgeous, isn't it? It's just it's, so good. The I- the thought." of something being lost like tears in rain yeah is like true it's and it's lost forever and it's incredible like it's the he's talking about these incredible huge moments in life yep that mean nothing yeah it's 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 brilliant but what what i was gonna say to you was on roy batty we've not really talked much about him i'm I'm conscious we've talked a lot about rachel we've not really talked about roy and uh, pris um so with their characters pris and roy we believe have some form of relationship don't we we don't fully uh they don't fully delve into it um no but we know for a fact that when um when pris dies 
it's the big lead to Roy going on the attack. But I think we should take it a step further back. Again, not play by play, but it's an important scene. When Roy meets his maker, yeah, talk me through it. I mean, that scene is just like... Well, he's, I guess he's desperate to understand. He's de- like, we know at this point now that Roy is... He knows that he's not got long left. Yeah. And he's desperate to stay alive. And, at the, um, and the replicants are as smart as humans, but they're also stronger and faster. Yes. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Roy is, I guess, like he just he just wants to live, and for that reason, in like for the for the four replicants, there's five in total. There's a secret one, isn't there? Yeah. Um. Well, no. There's four. There's four. He's tracking down, isn't that right? I was yeah, but then he gets told there's a fifth one. I think. But that's Rachel. Rachel. Is ah, the fifth. yes, that's it. Yeah, because that's it, yeah. because yeah. Cool. But, that was it. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, no, and 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 I guess he's he's demanding to know from his maker, like what, like what he's saying. What, like there must be a way. There must be a way. And his maker's basically saying, "We've tried everything. Like there, there is no way. Like that. Yeah. That's it. This is it. Like the the, the computer stops at when the time's up." And they've changed this line in multiple cuts of the film. So at one point it was, "Give me more life, father." And I'm so glad you're here for this, by the way, because. Like if you know when we come to talk about Terminator Two, the roles will be switched. Yeah, 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 but like I, I'm just so glad you're here for this. There's a there's a scene where he says, "So well in that scene, sorry, he says, give me more life, father.' And in another version, it was a more expletive. Give me more life begins with an F, also ends with an R. Um, and I believe in the final <laughs> cut, it's far. I believe it's father because it was like there's a bit of religious imagery going on because when. Uh, Roy finds out that he uh, Terrell can't give him more life. He gouges his eyes out with his thumbs, and the blood comes through. But Terrell's almost kneeling before him, so there's kind of a religious idea. Uh, it looks like a religious kind of image going on. Not the fact he's getting his eyes gouged out, but the fact he's kneeling before him. And then you've got the shimmering yellow light, haven't you? And the fact that Terrell lives in a pyramid and he lives at the top point of the pyramid. I mean, if you want a visual metaphor for capitalism in a nutshell, then here you go, right? Yeah. Why do you think he gouges his eyes out? I don't actually know why. He d- ah, I tell you what it is. and it, it, Well, this is my interpretation, but you know the fact he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe later on. Yes. But yeah, also yeah, the yeah. first shot of the film is the all-seeing guy, the Orwellian 1984, you're being watched all the time. But also yeah. before that, the first link is Roy Batty goes to the maker of his eyes right in, in and they're talking about the fact that i only make the eyes you need to go to tyrell he's he's your not your father but he he is the creator you need to see him uh and i think the eye link would be through that but i don't know that as as concrete um but i the eyes play a major part of the film as well because the way you can notice a replicant is because they get like a red sheen in their eye Yes. Which is also using what Star Galactica. Um, um, do you know where it's from? Do you know where this originated from? No, go for it. So uh, this is something I do know, actually. And this this was actually um, like a technique by a cinematographer called Eugene Schuften, which is a, he's a German cinematographer. It was originally used in Fritz Lang's 30s film, Metropolis. 
And ah, okay. It was a way of bouncing light off a 45 degree angle mirror yeah, I've heard into that. someone's eyes. Yeah. And that is what it's, so it's called the Schuften process. I'm yeah. probably saying it, I'm probably butchering it. So I'm enjoying God it. God help us if we do have any German listeners, but it's called the Schuften process. And that's, that's where that like light comes from in the eye. So it's, yeah. And I, I can tell you that. <laughs> I believe that, um, they used that for Rachel in the apartment scene and really didn't want it for every time you see them, but there's certain scenes where you see it flare up to make it clear. But also, um, it happened on set. The one that happened with uh, with Harrison Ford on set with Deckard was by accident, but they kept it in, and okay. that's actually how it all started. Because ah. Ridley was like, oh, that's, that's pretty neat. But anyway, um, so yeah, with Roy, that's that. Until we've also got... Um, I've forgotten that I need to I'm going to get her name up now because I don't want to do anyone a disservice here which is Zora I was going to say Zorel but it's Zora Zora is the lady who famously gets shot down in the glass which is like the trailer scene that everyone's seen of Blade Runner yeah and you think it's going to be like Terminator like yeah. proper isn't it you think it's coming with me if you want to live and it's essentially let's walk around for two hours and then we might shoot someone um, but um, <laughs> let's question the meaning of life instead um, no Zora is um Deckard they needs to do some investigating, so he goes and finds her at an underground um, like nightclub, doesn't he? Essentially, and then he tries to infiltrate, and she works out who he is. Yeah, and he traces her down and shoots her in the street in in a very public place. A few things: the sound effect of the gun is brutal because I think they're trying to emphasise the fact like he's doing a really depressing job, and he essentially is killing people. I think the yeah. film is trying to show us that they are pretty damn human because when uh, when Zorik does get shot like the blood and stuff it's quite grim isn't it it's grisly and she's in pain yeah. as she's falling through uh, she falls through lots of sheets of glass it's like one of the most famous shots in Blade Runner isn't it which was actually reshot for the director's cut years later and she's still fit in the outfit that is true love it um, again read the Future Noir book it is amazing I got it off uh, uh, no I didn't actually someone bought it me as a present but if you've got a world of books you can get it quite cheap it's good um but yeah, Zora's Zora's character we don't see integrate with the others, it's with the other Nexus characters, and that always annoys me because I kind of like to have seen them together. Because um, we see a lot of Pris and Roy Batty. But what I was going to say is uh, to get into Terrell's uh, base, they use JF Sebastian. JF Sebastian is a human with an aging condition, so he's only 26 and he looks like he's 50 odd. This and guy, it's a I like this guy. And it's a great link for like the replicants have kind of got that aging, you know, they've got that. Exactly uh, the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it kind of gives you the feel of that. And he he has a really creepy environment with all these toys and stuff that are his friends because he struggles with. But he's kind of nice, right? He's lovely, and and really, Scott said like he's so innocent. That's why it works because the yeah. fact of like horrible, you feel sorry for him throughout, and and like he's being manipulated because Pris is kind of she's not sexually advancing on him, but like she's playing him and knows that he thinks absolutely if you, yeah. do you know what he's i'm trying lonely. to say he's lonely he's lonely yeah and like the first the first time they meet they target him she she goes where she knows he'll be etc etc um but yeah I, th- I think the main thing to talk about i know we've talked briefly about the the last speech the sea beams however it's the fact that deckard gets to that place uh at that that house sorry where um where Sebastian lives, and that's where yes. Pris and Batty are. Now, when he finds Pris, Pris is hidden in that amazing mime artist kind of vibe. Oh yeah, right? yeah, I love that. I love and it. then she does some acrobatics, and like it's brutal. She puts her fingers up 
uh, uh, Harrison Ford's nose is like pulling it back and like it's a really horrible fight and really Scott said in the commentary you know it's really hard to make a fight interesting because like all fights are essentially the same so he's like I'm gonna make these robots just be absolutely brutal like smashing people's heads through walls and stuff because why would they not because they can do anything they're more they're stronger desperate Um, to live desperate to live as well and one of the th- scenes that I find most harrowing in Blade Runner, and it's the thing of they they are human, is you know when Pris gets shot and he shoots like four times, and she malfunctions like a doll. And there's a yeah. scene where it's a bit like Exorcisty, where it's like she just can't yeah. stop moving, and, and it's really really brutal. And shortly after this, Batty comes in, sees it, and that's what tips him over the edge, and he's got nothing left to live for. And that's the fight with Deckard, uh, which right so. I would like to jump in. The, what I would say, like this this final fight, and uh, I've only seen it a couple of times, it really, really reminds me of um, a slasher. So this, like... He even says, I'm coming to get you, I'll give you a head start. Because yeah. he's, he's more powerful than him. So he's like, you you go on ahead. But it, it's depressing because he sees Pris, doesn't he, first? And he breaks down. And like yeah. it's like, tell him he's not human. If he's reacting to a lost... Friend, or is that partner? his program? Is that his program telling him he's reacting to it? That's what people say. Like, I'm, I'm with I you. No, I'm with you. I think Ridley said on the commentary that uh, uh, by the end of the film, you're almost rooting for the bad guy, no matter what he does. Cause he said Rutger Hauer is such a lovely guy in real life that he knew that no matter what you saw him do, you would still feel sorry for him, right? You would still see his perspective. Yeah, and I think with Roy, that's that does come through. You don't agree with the fact that he's killed his maker, but you understand the frustration. You understand the fact that he essentially is a slave trying to break free. Uh, And yeah, I mean, that fight is brutal. And also we talk about what's it mean to be human. He's breaking down at this point. Like he's literally deactivating as he goes (coughs) and he puts a nail through his hand which, by the way, is a good, again, bit of Christian iconography with, with the crucifixion. And he does this because he needs the adrenaline to keep going to win the fight. Against Deckard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again. And that is what it is, isn't it? Like, it's the it's showing another human side to him. I, I don't know how you can not be on um, his side, really. Like... Deckard, like, he's doing what he needs to do, but at the same time, like, you, you, you've you got a feel for the replicants. And that's the reason why these films are so good and they work so well. And I think I was I was going to mention that, like, there's a, there was a, there's so many films and directors that have sort of been inspired by this film. Guillermo, um, Guillermo del Toro. Toro yeah. He's, he's been, he's spoken out about it, like, saying it's a huge influence for him. Like, if you look at films like Ghost in the Shell, uh, the Japanese yeah. anime, that's, like, Matrix. one of the... Literally, yeah, The Matrix. One of the greatest films ever made. Um, Ghost in the Shell, I was saying. So is The Matrix. Um, but then Fifth Element. Fifth yeah. Element's like so on the nose in terms of like... A fifth, fifth Element's almost like a reimagining of yeah. of Blade Runner, I think. like with, Again, you've got the pyramids. You've got um, Decker, who is who is Bruce Willis, who is... He's always smoking, he's drinking. like it's, And you've got the taxis and the, the, the police cars flying. It's it's really close to Blade Runner, I think. I also thought Minority Report had elements of it. But it was that kind of 100%. grounded... Gra- well, I say grounded. I mean, there's people who can preempt the future. But there is a grounded level to it of the city. But last last point for me on, on Roy Batty's character. Uh, really interesting point I hadn't noticed before. Re- uh, so, really said in the commentary that Roy only decides... 
that Deckard lived. So, you know, he's broke. Sorry, he's broken his fingers through. He breaks every one of Deckard's fingers, which is brutal, by the way, yeah, isn't yeah. it? We were cringing <laughs> so much when we watched it. it. And then after that, he's on the. He tries to escape via the rooftop. And then as Deckard goes, he's about to fall. And he gets caught. And I always just thought he gets caught because Batty knows he's about to die. So he wants to have a heroic yeah. act to prove he's human or, or not human, to prove to prove he's sentient or has feelings or whatever whatever yeah. you want to go at it as Ridley says no throughout the film we know that Roy Batty is a warrior don't we they say he's, a, he's the he's the model unit the army unit or, or what have you Deckard when he's about to die he knows that Roy can help him and he looks up at him and he doesn't ask for help he spits at him and Ridley says the fact he spits at him is when Roy actually respects the fact that this man being human wouldn't even beg for help do you see what i'm saying if he begged for help it would have kind of made roy's decision he wouldn't have helped him because of the fact like he's like do you see what i'm trying to say puny human like needing my yeah, help from that from yeah. from your never, from your from your child from, essentially yeah, inanimate object and actually what it's like is no you like this isn't happening like i'd rather die and roy respects that and again, that's for me why I like the idea of Decker being a human, because I think it makes that end fight mean more to me personally. Because it's like this is humanity versus the beast. By the way, the be uh, the beast, the machine. The machine is far far more advanced and can beat the living hell out of you. But the hu- yeah. humanity survives, right? It goes through. And also, Ridley said that he was always upset that in every edit he didn't focus enough on that spit. He says it's such an act of defiance, which which yeah. Roy respects. I thought that was really interesting insight. I'd never, I, no, I'd never I, even considered it. It's it, easy to miss as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's one of those things where he said, I think he didn't have the coverage for it as well because he's done so many re-edits of the film, but he just didn't have the coverage Crazy. of it to ever to change it to do it. And also, you think about the musical cue. There's no way you could change that secret. No. You just can't. It's a bit like well, I was about to say. In Alien 3, they changed the shot in the end queue and it ruins the music and it still to this day annoys me. But anyway, yeah, that that's all I really have to say. There's so many links to Prometheus that I cannot wait to get into. But yeah, I, well, yeah. I was actually, sorry, I was just going to mention, like, um, you mentioned how uh, the humans, like, created the replicants um, just like the engineers, cre- we think, created the humans, like, in Prometheus. So that, there's another little link there. But you look like you're desperate to talk about... I was about to do an amazing link, but you talked too long into it, so it's gone. I was about to say, oh, that could have been an amazing, amazing link. But anyway, I'll just butcher it anyway. Let's talk about Ridley Scott's Prometheus. A king has his reign. civilizations that were separated by centuries and yet this same pictogram was discovered in every one of them they're smiling i think they want us to come and find them so when did you first watch prometheus john as the biggest alien fan in the room oh my god i cannot describe the first time i saw the prometheus trailer 
it was just do you remember it it was like from the maker of alien and blade runner ridley scott returns to his sci-fi masterpiece like you know it was so hyped and they marketed it as a such an alien prequel and it really wasn't but like do you remember that advertising campaign i remember that advertising campaign because of you so johnny and i were borderline living together in 2012 we were living together like were we ish pretty much i mean you were yeah so we were pretty much living together in 2012 and so i remember johnny banging on about a film i hadn't really seen much about prometheus prometheus this prometheus that we need to go and see it we need to go and see it um and so the first time i saw the film i was actually saw it with you in the cinema i think i I believe that's right i saw it three i think i said last time i saw it three times i saw it with my dad in 3d i saw it with harriet weirdly harriet went to see it with me i've no idea why (laughs) <laughs> but anyway um she hated it and then um yeah then i definitely went with you uh it would have been when we used to go to amc and we used to walk there 100 percent. do you remember yeah yeah not no, far absolutely yeah. Lived. yeah it um, was yeah excuse me i was so excited for this film i think it's really hard to put in people describe the hype as not far off phantom menace in terms of the original creator coming back like lucas going back to phantom menace i get it like i get it yeah and and it wasn't a disaster like phantom menace either no but also ridley hadn't done another science fiction since blade runner he'd kept away from it since essentially Uh, 1982 the mar oh yep 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 you're right yep sorry sorry go on what were you gonna say no i was gonna say the martian but that was way after prometheus Uh, yeah 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 but what yeah but essentially as well that film although it's science fiction is more about the human story than do you know do you know what i mean well i yeah, suppose you could I mean, argue you that still for a few certainly things certainly say it was science, science fiction, fiction yeah um yeah but didn't it win best comedy or something which is so weird do you remember yes, that? I, I hope it didn't because that's stupid i swear to god um, it did for something but anyway yeah so the first time i saw it was then the first my initial reactions i think it's important to go through initial reactions i think my initial reaction at the time was i was disappointed it's a film that's grown on me afterwards although i saw it three times a lot of the reason i I watched it that many times was because the visuals as always with ridley scott were fantastic i think i loved it the thing that annoyed me with it though was i think in my head it was marketed to me as a prequel to alien and it wasn't that which i don't think is actually a bad thing actually i think it stands on its own two feet well and the bits that don't work so well ironically are some of the bits with the alien which sounds a bit of a mad thing to say but actually yeah. but i think there was a lot of pressure though from fans because ridley actually didn't want to have anything like to do with the alien in it but yeah um, and they were actually disappointed the fans were disappointed afterwards and one of the biggest criticisms of this film was that there wasn't enough alien in it and before we even delve into it because i know we've had questions about it that is why covenant is a bit of a mess because it's basically oh the fans Excuse didn't me i like it the fans didn't want this <laughs> let's make up for it and then you get this kind of comedy mess but before we get yeah. into covenant do you want to give us a quick Ooh. no sorry go on well so I just I was do you want me to, would you you were gonna you were asking me if I'd give you a quick synopsis of course I was um I will give you a synopsis um the film's very convoluted who knows what it means but basically it's about um explorers uh, humans human explorers and basically they discover some kind of clue that um takes them to like well, they want to find out the origins of like like humans like where did they come from 
Um, so they go to this planet. Um, do you remember the planet's name, John? I'd be surprised if you I do. I think it's LV-523 rather than LV-426, but I might well, be wrong. But yeah. uh, Well, I mean, that's enough. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. No one's going to Google it. Don't worry. Um, and so it's basically humans going Star Trek kind of thing, going to a planet, finding out why, where we came from. Um, and Yeah, fair. That's basically it, isn't it? It is Nothing indeed. Say, really. I mean, I mean, basically, the scientists who find the clues, they find clues of paintings in caves from all these different people, like the Aztecs or the Egyptians yeah. or the Romans or whatever, and they're all separated by large periods of time. However, they all depict larger beings showing the way to the stars, so they think it's a map or an invitation to find our makers. And the question is we want to well the scientists want to meet their makers so you've got numi rapaces character is elizabeth shaw she um she chooses to believe she she wears a cross throughout but also is a scientist so there's kind of like dual interest going on right with her belief system yeah. and the fact that she believes that they were engineered they call the creatures the engineers because they believe they were made by them so yeah engineer and then you've got Logan Marshall Green, who's the guy who looks a little bit like Tom Hardy, but thinner. He's, he's budget Tom Hardy. And, and he was in Upgrade. He he was. He plays Charlie Holloway, and that's Shaw's partner. And he basically really described him as he doesn't want to meet his maker. He wants to stand next to him. What he means by that is he doesn't want to bow down to his maker. He wants to question him and be seen as an equal, right? So that's that's kind of his character. He's an adventurer. He's a risky guy right yeah uh and then essentially after we see them discovering discovering these clues we see the first epic shot of the prometheus and by the way on the surround sound on the projects yesterday and when i saw it at the cinema all those years ago it looks stunning for a 2012 film it is gorgeous and you see the prometheus go by and it says they've been in deep sleep for i think it's two and a half years to get there yeah and then uh we see david now David is played famously by Michael Fassbender and he is brilliant and he actually said that he didn't study any of the other androids from the Alien series such as Ash, Bishop uh, and Cole from Alien Resurrection. Alien Resurrection. And he's D with David. However, he studied Roy Batty and essentially Rachel from Blade Runner because he liked the fact that she wasn't sure and the way she, she played the idea of... Uh, Sorry, we should quickly mention Dave, David's uh, an android. An android. So, he, well, he's he Ridley describes him in the commentary as a replicant and Ridley uh, still... Oh, so I was going to ask this about... I, was, I did text you earlier, didn't I? You did. So Can we talk about David potentially being a replicant? So Same director. So essentially for a long time it's unofficial canon in Ridley's head that it's the same universe he doesn't go out there to do it but apparently in Blade Runner there are a few Wailing Yutani which is the company from Alien references in terms of like in the backdrops and stuff and there's a few Tyrell nods in the Alien series as well so I don't want to get too far into that it doesn't really bother me all that much but the the fact that um, Michael Fassbender studied the replicants more so is quite an interesting thing. Now, when we first meet David, he's as he's a, a replicant, or as he's an android, let's call him an android because an alien he's called an android. Because he's an android, he looks after yeah. the crew by making sure they arrive at their destination. 
and you see his daily routine and he's basically learning ancient all the languages in the world so he can work out how language is broken down so he can communicate with with the humans makers now at the start he's quite subservient isn't he in terms of he's being bossed about and yeah well he's essentially is a servant though isn't he, he? he is a servant but he has a weird fascination with lawrence of arabia and he's yeah. obsessed with peter o'toole's character he yeah. dyes his hair blonde like him and i don't know was it did you ask me the question why does he relate to lawrence of arabia i i said to you there's a few things that i want to talk about one of them is david and his obsession with lawrence of arabia so and i've got it i was it. gonna say go on you 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 go because i was gonna say that my interpretation of it um was that he's a man um entering a world that he doesn't get he doesn't get it um 100 and he, he's trying to learn to be like them um same as lawrence in lawrence of arabia um who doesn't fit in either um and it's it's that isn't it that that's the general he, he basically doesn't fit in with either community so the well i think we might have read a similar thing but i i read an article online from the huff post are you on a similar article I've, I've read, that's where <laughs> i got my source from that's yeah hilarious. love it but yeah so yeah it's it's just the idea of not just the the fitting aspect but they also focus on the fact that david keeps saying the trick william potter is not minding that it hurts you know when he when he uh, puts out the match yeah, and he said David watches this because he's studying Lawrence's brand of gallant showmanship. He knows he's superior. He wants to show it to everyone else. He wants to be praised, and I think this is something that we see throughout the film. David wants to stand out and be different. And the first time I saw Prometheus, it wasn't clear if he was trying to be a sly android or not. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Was yeah, when no, you know the end of the film, it kind of gives context to to how he is right and and yeah his actions it, throughout there is this david's by far the most interesting character in prometheus for me um he doesn't he does kind of resent humans doesn't he like in a way like and and rightly so to be quite honest so um, there's a very key scene here which is hilariously similar to alien versus predator by the way so you know the scene where they're getting the meeting of they're all woken up from hype sleep in in, in do you remember alien versus predator they basically uh, no because it's terrible uh they sit in this room on a boat and are basically told there's an ancient pyramid and in the ancient pyramid there are beings that are da -da 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 -da. prometheus literally has the same setup as a bunch of people sat in a room being like so basically there's this <laughs> you know there's this yeah, thing yeah, yeah. we've got to find it blah, blah, blah. anyway um and we see peter wayland peter wayland um says compares the mission and why it's named prometheus because prometheus tried to give the power of the gods to the people now we're bringing that back we're going to meet our makers and he says in front of you is someone i've made david however he can never do this he can never do that he, he never knows the benefits of not being able to age and remaining the same because he has one thing he he lacks one thing that all humans have and that is a soul and if you look at david he reacts as if he's upset by this and it's the first link, like the little chink of, does he have an emotional response? Like, what's his... Is yeah. he, So that's the first little hint we've got. Later in the film, when the humans land on the planet, we see them, they find, like, the engineer's base, essentially, don't they? Or, like, their underground way station. And when they go there, they find this massive tomb, and they find out that the, the, the uh, engineers look like humans and what have you. 
But David's fascinated at this point because he likes the fact, I think, that he's in control of that situation. He understands the text. He can open the doors. The humans don't really know what's going on. He's just kind of doing his own thing at this did, point. Yeah, and do, do you do you know what David says to the to the engineer when he wakes up as well? No, but that's later on. But go for okay, it. Okay, carry on. Carry no, on. No, 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 you no, know no, the, no, you save, know the film inside out. Save, save it, save it, save it. I'll save um, it. I'll save it. So yeah, again, not play by play, but like there's a few, there's a few juicy bits before then. Um, <laughs> you can tell this is Johnny's wheelhouse. He's carrying the episode. Literally. No, I'm so sorry. Um, no, no, no. It's fine. I, I only it. watched it last night as well, and I, I, it's one of those films that I always feel feel like in memory I'm disappointed by it and then when I watch it I'm always pleasantly surprised I take something away from it and I go I oh, like actually, it yeah. I actually really I like do. it I really like and, it sorry and that brings me on to Film Forager's question because we must start answering questions because we've got loads yeah, yeah, we have and we actually. haven't answered one I'm so sorry go for it. most of them are around Prometheus and Ridley Scott yep you've already kind of answered it but Film Forager writes in for the first time in a little while but she's catching up on the pods and um, she says how did you feel after watching Prometheus for the first time. Now, you said you felt slightly disappointed, but it's grown on you. 100%. I think the first time I was disappointed because I expected at the end... I didn't like the the ending of the film. Essentially, they fly away and say, we'll find out next time what happens. And by the way, we don't. Prometheus 2. So, well, yeah. And I think that annoyed me because I thought it was going to end at Alien. But then if I actually think about it, do I want it to end at Alien? Probably not. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things. You kind of want it to be separate, don't you? Yeah, and I think actually, and I'm also I'm almost glad yeah. that it wasn't called Alien, the pre, the Awakening or whatever. Yeah, you know. like ah, oh, yeah, the Shitening. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no it's, it's 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 difficult. I just I think the the studio wanted to market it as the Return of Ridley and it being a prequel, but Ridley was clear it wasn't that. He was more interested in the engineers, but Ridley then said I went too far the other way, and Covenant was kind of making up for that to find a halfway house. So. To answer Film Forager's question... Apologies, sorry. Slightly disappointed. Originally slightly disappointed, but it's definitely grown on me. i tell you what I was disappointed about at the time, and this is my vivid memory of seeing it at the cinema. And I don't know if you noticed it when you watch it back. They get in a load of cars, they go to the ship, and then they go back. back and then the car yeah, goes back again. And I remember yeah, being like, I don't like I've that. watched the cars going back four... I remember getting out of the cinema and said to my dad, I've yeah. watched those cars go back and forth like four times. Like, what are they doing? And then... Now when I watch it, it doesn't bother me. It's really funny, like the things you remember. Like my first time I watched it, what like really annoyed me was like the cars going to and fro. But anyway, sorry. No, yeah, no, you? no. I I agree. I I don't like the fact that they go to and fro. I think that how did I feel? Visually stunning as always. Um, I was excited because you were excited. I remember. Um, so I didn't really have any expectations to be honest. Like I really, Aliens is my favorite of the whole franchise, right? Yeah. I think Prometheus. Oh, is the third best alien film in the so i think it, for me it goes yeah, uh, mean, aliens I... alien yeah. prometheus alien 3 um covenant resurrection, resurrection. for me and i under- and i know that that's yeah. completely not the same for you i mean it's not too dissimilar for me i still think i prefer alien i think aliens dated the best which i know there's still bits that which date but i just think aliens the one which looks like 90% of that film could have been shot last week and we wouldn't question it. It's funny. And it's really funny yeah. that, like, it is funny that um, James Cameron literally made, like, the greatest sequel. Twice. Um, with twice. Like, and, literally and greatest sequel and, twice. And by the way, I really like Aliens, but I think 
it's one of those and this sounds really petty but when i was a kid i didn't like alien because it had a slow build-up and then whatever well, like was, most horror films yeah but I, I liked aliens because it kind of got on with it but yeah. i probably used to watch aliens not every month but every three months i'd be like let's rewatch it let's rewatch it and my, i remember my dad being like no like one point just be like, breakfast like club. you know yeah. i'm not no we're not we're not rewatching it again we always watch aliens and like it is brilliant but i think i overdid it as a kid because now i've actually not watched it for about four or five years i've actually purposely avoided it so i can I'll, watch on the projector and go let's do it go ham. let's yeah, do it okay sweet let's do I'm, it i'm up i'm up for that let's do great. it right okay anyway. next question um kims.cinema.scape writes in and she says I like Prometheus, but do you think it took the Alien franchise too far and made it something it's not? I love that. This is a really yeah. good question. It's a fantastic question because, yeah, you're right. Essentially, it did do that. I think there's nothing wrong with the idea of the engineers, but I'm not quite sure it needed to be in the Alien universe, if I'm being honest. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, the ideas of asking about wanting to meet your maker and questioning you know about the sentiency and all that seemed very blade runner so it seemed odd that he didn't direct blade runner 2 2049 but did prometheus it seemed really strange to me at the time right okay i'm gonna say something insane right now so do you think he would have been capable of directing blade runner 2049 and made it the way villeneuve made it or do you think? Do you think how how different do you think it would have been? Like, why Completely do you think different. he didn't direct it? I, I I honestly think. I think it was just a very different beast. I don't know. He still had involvement in it. He was still a producer, wasn't he? And I still think yeah. he had quite a say. I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is like a, a love letter to Blade Runner in the best possible way. And, and it's I so good. And I so don't good. know if Ridley would have done a love letter. Do you know what I mean by that? No, I, I think he could he, have done another Prometheus. Yeah, he, he could have been like, I want, I'm going to elaborate on. On all of these things, yeah. like I've been thinking about it for thirty years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he could have actually like wrecked it all. Yeah. Whereas Villeneuve's come in and he's been like, he respects the original, but also yeah. builds on it in a good way. Yeah, and so I yeah. think it was a really good idea that Ridley didn't do it right. And I, and I say that, and we've got a question later about what we think about Ridley Scott. There's a couple of questions about him. Okay. Do you, so for me, um, do I think it took the Alien franchise too far and made it something it's not? This is a really hard one for me because I think about a lot of things. In <laughs> I think about a lot. Of, that's so broad, like the broadest thing ever. I'm waving my hands around. I think about a. I think about a lot of things. I think about a lot of things that are done to death, um, and some uh, most of the time, less is more. Hundred percent. Now, do I like the engineers? The idea of the engineers? Yeah, like definitely like a lot of the aspects of Prometheus, like. I think it's been done so well. Like, it never needed a prequel, just like Terminator never needed a prequel. Do you know what I mean? Like, Terminator Salvation, get out of town. Like, we I, don't. I weirdly like Salvation. I will die. Horrendous. On that hill, but anyway, it's horrendous. I like it. I like um, it. And <laughs> I just. Day. So, if, you've, if we think about the amount of. Apart from Wolverine Origins, which is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Um, the Trash. amount of films that end up having a prequel that doesn't work. Yeah. I'm going to say, it, I don't think it made it into something it's not. It's so difficult. Like, the I like. Is, Alien is a haunted horror house film on a spaceship. Simple setup, simple 100%. premise. 
Never needed a sequel, really. By the way, this is coming from the man who consistently talks about Alien 3 on every single episode of this podcast. But the truth is, Alien, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3 Resurrection, it's the same plot every time. Yeah. It's something getting whacked out at airlock. To be fair to Alien 3, they don't whack it out in airlock. That's one of the things you can give it for originality. But, um, you know essentially what made them special was it was a different director with their take on it every time that's what was special about the alien series like in in the first one we don't really know anything about the characters it's just about the feeling and the mood the second one we went deep dive on like we found out about ripley we didn't even know she was called ellen ripley until that film they yeah. had the the through line of the vietnam war thing because he's also james cameron wrote rambo 2 at the same time he had the ripley wanted to become a mother because she'd lost a daughter during the events of alien you know it was like, you know, that was, the, what, that was the drive. And then when you get to Prometheus, Prometheus was trying to build and expand on the world. And the truth is, it's trying to answer, we've briefly touched on this already this episode, we're trying to answer things that basically the more you know, the less scary it is. And I still yeah, find it scarier 100%. when I first saw Alien. I was like, what the hell is that thing on that chair with its chest burst open? Yeah. And it was way, like in Prometheus, the scale is wrong. Like the the sorry, this is getting nerdy, but like the engineers looked way bigger in the original Alien. If you look at the, like the the spacesuits going by to the space jockey chair, it's about four times the size of them. And then in in Prometheus, no one's going to get like that. No times. one's going to understand what you mean by that. That's like pure. That's pure hardcore Alien knowledge. I'm just saying, like the the engineers people looked too like massive in Alien to humans. Was in yeah. Prometheus, it's obviously scaled down because they wanted a big guy in a suit. So yeah. it look yeah. Right. Okay. I'm gonna. Sorry. Big debate. Let me rephrase that question. Then, just for your final answer, I'm gonna rephrase the question. Okay. This great question, and I'm gonna say, is the world a better place without Prometheus or with Prometheus? Are you happier or you sadder with or without this film? There you go. There's the question. Happier with, to be fair. Happier with. Happier with. Because you shared some time in the cinema with your dad, <laughs> with me, yeah. with Harriet. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, what what <laughs> well, else do you want? No, you're happier with the film, yeah? I'm happy with it there because the truth is, even when Ridley makes mistakes, and it's a bit like what we say about a bad Hitchcock is still better than, than most films out there. I believe that's the same for Ridley, which will come into a later question. But yeah. in terms of his eye and his vision of the future, I think he's always so good that I'm willing to watch it even if it's got a terrible story. And that's not to say Prometheus has, but there's very no. questionable decisions in some of those films. But the world carries it through. Excellent. Okay. There we go. There we go. There we go. I feel like I'm interviewing you tonight. This is great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, back on to Prometheus, right? Um, we were talking about uh, David. Yeah, so I, th- I think the my key takeaway from it Again, we're not doing play-by-play. Play. I'm just so tempted to do play-by-play play when you're obsessed with the film, but I'm not going to go there. I think the thing is with David is I think he loves the fact when he finds out that Logan's character is really disappointed. Cheap Tom Hardy's character is very upset when he finds out that basically they've just found another tomb. He says it's just another tomb. If they've not met their makers, they've just found another question mark. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he's so frustrated. David's quite smug at this point because he's thinking, great, like... I think he feels empowered by the fact that the humans are disappointed. And also because when they get back to the ship, he's got a sample of their alien black goo, whatever you want to call it. Black goo. The weapon. That's what we'll call it. The there's a, there's a really important question, isn't there, that David asks um, B-movie Tom Hardy. Logan Marsh and, and Paul. He, s- he, yeah, says, he says to him, what would you do 
to 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 meet your maker like how far would you go and he say i you know i'd do anything and it gives yeah. david permission because he's got a sample of the black goo slash alien dna whatever you want to call it and he pops it in his drink and i was like what are you doing why are you doing this yeah evil but, evil david but no david can we just actually say before this david is treated terribly throughout the film by that character he calls him Pinoc- he refers to him as pinocchio boy um and he's he basically says like why why do you think why did you make me he says oh because we could and he's like think about how disappointed you would be if you met your maker and they said the same to you and logan marshall pours a bit like you can see it's it's rubbing him the wrong way, and this is slightly before he gets his drink spiked to create a new <laughs> And it ain't no it ain't no normal drink spiking. No, um, like that's that's hilarious. It, this is when he gets his drink spiked. Yeah. it's not quite it's spiked, Johnny, is it's it? True. It's true. That's so funny. But what I was going to say as well is in the film, like the other descendant of Wayland is his daughter, played by Charlie Theron. Um, she's called Vickers and she played the role to look slightly robotic and android-like throughout and there were like hints of the fact she's got blonde hair Fassbender's got blonde hair and I don't believe she is and there's even a scene where Idris Elba's character Yannick's like Vickers are you a robot and she's like come back to my room in 20 minutes and I'll show you I'm not a robot (laughs) I wish (laughs) he had been allowed to just keep his British accent didn't make there was no reason for him to be American in this Idris Elba yeah oh it never bothered me at all it bothers me, and he's absolutely fantastic in The Wire, but I, there's no need for him... There, there is no reason whatsoever or need for him to have an American accent. He can just be British. Well, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take, like, take that. A, just, just a little, little minor annoyance. Another thing to get into, which is kind of going into Alien Covenant territory, which is difficult, but with David, we find out in Alien Covenant that he was allowed to create... And like other androids had this taken away from them because it people found it too scary because the they were getting too human like so they took away like free will and that kind of aspect of it right so David can create because we see in um, he's painted and done all this stuff in Alien Covenant right but in this film we see the start of him creating by taking the black goo and popping it in Logan Marshall Paul's drink. I keep calling nice. it Logan Marshall's drink. And he, he creates the, the very first kind of face hugger because Shaw's character can't have children and there's a horrible line where her partner says, you know, anyone with two bits of DNA can create life like that. Yeah. And it hits hard because she's like, what about Read me? the room, mate. What's Read the room. It, what does that say about me? I can't create life. Like, you know, how, how easy is it? Like, does that mean... Again, she's quite brilliant. Questioning, she is. Newbie Rapace. She is, but my God, again, why do they make it English? Because she doesn't need to be English in it. That's just no. such nonsense. But anyway, um, her accent's really shady in this film. But all I think is, in the future, maybe that's what a country sounds like. I don't know. Sorry, go on. You mentioned Alien Covenant. Yeah. Kate reviews films right in and she says, <laughs> how bad is Alien Covenant on a scale of bad to unforgivable? Okay. Let me oh. tell you something, brother. If anyone know watches wrestling, they'll understand the um, reference. How bad is Alien Covenant on a scale of bad to unforgivable? Now listen, Kate, if that is your real name, <laughs> I like. I'm not having that because I quite like Alien Covenant. I'm gonna be honest. Like, so let me take your scale and let me change it a little and let me say. Kate reviews films right in and she says, how bad is Alien Covenant on a scale of pretty good to unforgivable? 
John, I'll pass it over to you. Right. Kate, I think we've had this chat before, but we're doing it on air. Let's go. Right. I love a lot of aspects of Alien Covenant. The cinematography is fantastic. It's gorgeous. The score is amazing. It has more gore and horror, so it feels more like a horror form. A horror film, sorry. It actually has a xenomorph in it, and it still has some different creatures. I like the kind of white hybrid shark. Oh, yeah, that's scary. Like, yeah, that's scary. The bad part. I wanted to see the second Prometheus film because people bitched and moaned in the community so much, the fan groups of all the things wrong with Prometheus that they didn't like. The studio were like, oh my God, get away from this engineer nonsense. Get away from all that. Get the alien in it. Get the alien in it as quickly as you can. So the last 20 minutes of that film feels bolted on because I believe it is bolted on. That whole the, the xenomorph being loose on the ship is basically the entirety of Alien with no tension in a 20-minute spell rather than the entire two hours of the original plot. Does that annoy and upset me? Yes, it does. It really does. However... Bad I, to unforgivable. However, bad to unforgivable... I'd put it more on the scale of bad than unforgivable because I don't think it is unforgivable. But what I'm trying to get to the point of is I don't think it's all Ridley's fault. I think it was mandated he had to meet them halfway. To me, Alien Covenant is the Rise of Skywalker syndrome. Oh, I don't like Last Jedi. That's so harsh. No, no, I mean, yeah, no, 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 I know, you, I know, no, no, I know what you're going because, on. Yeah, no, you're because, saying, of, you're because, because when toxic fandom gets their way and actually, like, reduces the, the, the voice of the artist, right... This is what you get. You get something which basically doesn't tick either box. I always say the same thing to you with anything in life. No, no. I always say the same thing, which is if you go in trying to appease multiple people, you will never appease anybody. If you've got one clear vision, you will hit that mark well. If you try and appease 10 people's vision, you'll hit none of them. Because you, you're not following through and you're not following your instincts. And if you're second-guessing yourself at every point, how are you supposed to make the best through line? Alien Covenant is as good as it can be because of what happened and what the studio said it had to be and what the fans moaned about. But I don't hate it. I will defend it. And, and weirdly, I probably watch it more than Resurrection. I've probably watched it not as much as Alien 3. But I've better watched than it. Resurrection for me. Yeah, it is. I, I like I, it. I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Sorry, that pretty is good, a long, pretty, long-winded response. Pretty but, good. Yeah. David's... Um, David's questionable acts towards the end of Alien Covenant questionable acts um, yeah I don't feel like you sympathise with him as you sympathise with Roy Batty in Alien hey, sorry in Blade Runner I believe like in when we've been watching uh, Prometheus you feel sorry for David because of the way he's treated throughout the film and I know there is a question coming up where should we get, just get that question in there so Kate said um Okay, so uh, Kate's wrote in with a triple barreler um, this week. We're not going to answer them all at the same time, so we're going to go with the next question, though. Uh, Kate Reviews Films writes in again. She says, hashtag, David's did nothing wrong. Change my mind. Um, I am not in a position to change your mind because I... I don't think in Prometheus, I don't think David did anything wrong because I, I'm with you. I don't know. So I don't know where you're coming from with that. So why you don't think he did anything wrong. My reasons for why I don't think he did, did anything wrong was because he's pretty much treated like crap throughout the whole film. And, oh God. Yeah. And he, they say like stuff like, um, Oh yeah. He mentioned something about fear and then um, 
Logan Marshall Paul says, um, you don't even know what fear is, you're a robot. Or And then at the end, even at, right at the end, Shaw says, like, when he's literally just ahead, he's just ahead when he's been ripped apart. Um, he says, like, I don't understand why... Something about, I don't understand why you're... What is it? She says... He says why you're helping me. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand why you're helping me. Um, and he says... What does he say? You need to get off the. You need to get off the planet. Blah blah. blah. And he said, "No, she's. She's. This is it. This is it." She says, "I'm. I need to find out why. Why these, they changed their minds? Why they changed their minds on like the, basically the the engineers decide they made humans. Then they decided that actually humans were trash because we are. Um, basically, <laughs> yeah, like definitely true. Um, and he says, "I don't understand why you need to find out so badly." And he and she turns around and says pretty much in her last breaths like as she's almost dying herself um that's because you're a robot and i'm a human being and i'm just like yeah and, and it's almost like that deep. racism yeah like, yeah it is it literally is an ode to like racism and prejudice like and you know for a fact and in fact anyone um could play the game on playstation called detroit be human it's the same similar themes mm-hmm. it's a it is definitely a form of like racism and prejudice like although they're not they're living like breathing human beings they're still they're still living like they still have thoughts they're sentient like I can't remember if it's Battlestar Galactica or Blade Runner when they call them skin jobs that's Battlestar Galactica is that Battlestar Galactica oh. or is it Blade Runner I can't remember no it's Blade Runner I think it's Blade Runner oh god listen uh, anyway, to anyway look we're, we're mixing up but the, you know that phrase in itself is just quite offensive do you know what I mean it's, it, but I think it's meant to be though it's oh, meant yeah, to yeah, be yeah, like yeah. a racist yeah. um, derogatory like thing to call how to talk um, down to them or whatever yeah exactly and and so th- there's definitely elements of that i don't think david did do anything wrong um because he kind of like he was he, he wanted to be free it was he, this, this him killing the humans was getting his freedom he actually says don't all people want their parents dead one no he does. <laughs> but but he obviously does <laughs> because his parents are basically a company which tell his his father inverted commas says he has no soul treats him like crap and makes like gingers mate like me and like me there's a famous bit uh, in that film where he's cleaning his feet he's washing his feet again another biblical kind of reference there and um yeah there's a there's a few of those there's quite a few biblical references so apparently um one of the engineers as well um went to earth was supposed to be sent down to earth like on (sighs) it they cut this. this this is the whole jesus concept right they literally yes, going to say yeah. an engineer was in earth 2000 years ago and then humans treated him poorly and he died and that's why they want to go back and wipe them right that's yeah. i think ridley kind of said it was too clean and too on the nose it was just a bit too like i think ridley was right i i think he was right and also there's arguments at the start of that film you know so we see the first creation of life through the through the um engineer sacrificing himself by drinking the black goo and then his yeah. DNA breaks down goes in the water now Lindelof said it was on earth but then later in the commentary said oh but it might not be Ridley kind of said he didn't believe it was on earth but I don't know if Ridley said that in hindsight because groups were offended at the suggestion that we were made by do you see what I mean like you know the kind of controversy that caused because it upsets certain faiths or or what have you for me it's just kind of media I don't really yeah, well, I don't think it's that really deep. offend me. It's you know really I mean? not that deep. It's, it's a film about aliens killing each other, so I don't really, I don't yeah. really think about it in that way. However, no. what I love about Prometheus is the fact, like Blade Runner, it's a science fiction which, on the surface, is one thing, which is this is someone going around killing replicants. But actually, it's about 
life and kind of what what would it mean to meet your maker and basically and roger ebert said like he loved prometheus and he said like it's a great old science fiction because the questions aren't answered and that's kind of the point star trek the motion picture is a similar thing what's it like to meet your maker disappointing because essentially do you know what i mean because yeah absolutely i 100 percent agree like i i just um very much uh yeah like i very much um feel exactly the same way but um it, it is what it is so just a little bit of mopping up to do then we have a few questions left from our listeners so we have a question from and we should have answered this at the end of blade runner but here we are at the end of prometheus phlpt phil writes in on instagram and he says uh, i'm sure i'm not the first to ask guess what phil you are even though we've had quite a lot of questions this week but what's your preferred blade runner ending final cut because i hate the fact in the original that when the original blade runner cut for those don't know is a happy ending which is him and rachel drive off into the sunset i hate this one and it's unused footage from the shining (laughs) is it yeah it's um you know the helicopter shot at the start of the shining where it follows the car yeah they just cropped out the car and just had the helicopter shots and kubrick gave it to them because kubrick and ridley had some pals so yep if anyone out there wants to hire um, at jcb.video John <laughs> for a director's commentary on any kind of alien film, then hit him up because he's available as long as it doesn't interrupt the schedule of the podcast. I think, genuinely think, the amount of insight you've had on this episode is worthy of some kind of interview slash commentary. Anyway, right, my favourite, um, my preferred Blade Runner ending absolutely has to be um, the final cut because the one when they're in the car um, and she says like you and I were made for each other like it like that whole ending it just doesn't fit with her character whatsoever she would never have said that I believe that ending was a studio mandate from my memory of the book it's a, it's a while ago since I read the behind the scenes book it's about a year and a half ago now but from what I remember it's the studio just said it was too oppressive and too like what's going on does she live or not and it I just, think they, it's just no good and like, they kind of wanted to be like no she's got away with it and, and it's yeah, fine and no. it's it's like you know it's it's just making it into something it's not by the end and it just doesn't fit the, it's the totally cut, wrong yeah the final cut ending um, when he says to her, upside down Spider-Man kiss um, oh, yeah. he asks Rachel if she he says do you love me she said yeah she says yeah so like do you love me she says yeah do you trust me yeah and then they he finds the origami of the unicorn yeah which lets him know that they've been there and let her live which in itself is good yeah and then they leave in the lift and And that is a perfect ending for me yeah and he hears the quote it's um it's a shame she won't live but then again who does and it's kind of making that point of everyone's gonna die so why don't you just go and live your life absolutely absolutely right then so um a little bit off topic well no it's not off topic at all kate reviews films writes in it's her third little slice of the the pie she says it's a hat trick she says if you could take credit for the creation of anything living or inanimate what would it be got a few answers for this you start then because i've so i mean originally as long as you um, didn't say a wood chipper i'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) originally i I just thought tasers like 
tasers are pretty cool, aren't they? Like just like like tase people, like they protect people. People obviously obviously abuse them as well. So tasers was the first thing that came to mind. Um, I don't know why. Um, second thing that came to mind: fidget spinners. So would love to take credit for fidget spinners. I don't know why you're shaking your head. They're cool. They're harmless. They were a nice, short little fad. Probably not good because they were all made out of plastic, so probably not good for the environment. But it makes apparently the, the inventor of fidget spinners made quite a lot of money. So, and it's not enough money to be like horrible. On that note, I would have loved to have been the creator of Facebook um, instead of Mark Zuckerberg after last, last week's episode. Um, anyone but Zuckerberg, me, because I'm just nicer, I think. Um, all I'd want is a little house in the country with a cinema room, and yeah, I'd just be dead happy. And then I'd okay. like give the most of my money away. Um, and then finally, I would have, I guess, I would have liked to have wrote um, Oliver Twist, um, Great Expectations, most of Charles Dickens's books. Because he abused his wife. Um, no, no, no. He just abused his wife, and he was a horrible, horrible man to his uh, really, kids and stuff. Right, so, okay. basic. But what I'm saying is, I'd basically like to be. I'd, I'd like to take the place of horrible people that have done amazing things. So, like for example, Roman Polanski directed Chinatown. I would have liked to have directed Chinatown because I'm a better person than Roman Polanski. I, t- I tell you what, then. I would have gone and created either an iPad or an iPod, iPhone, any any Apple thing, right? I would then own own the company and all the money, right? So like Steve Jobs, but I would have been Steve Jobs, so JB. And <laughs> I would have set up a film studio and I would have said to 20th Century Fox, you know that I film? know what's good, where this is going you know already. That, you know that film you butchered in 1992? Sell me the rights, give me, give me the full thing, and I'd mm. give... As Fincher asked for the hundred and fifty million pounds that he wants dollars, whatever, to go and remake it. Well, it's probably three hundred now. It's probably probably more than that now. It's probably like I'd give it him and I'd just say, Please please show me what you were going to do and then I'd let it happen. And would you would you have like cast anyone different? No. I'd just say either de age him or let's just pretend like a theatre thing. We'll get on with it. Okay, but also it depends when I got rich because if I got rich in like ninety seven or two thousand, they'd have been fine. Twenty twenty one is quite a push, but when it was like eight years later, not a problem. I don't think he's going to do it now, mate. I think he's. Uh, I, I think he's got PTSD. Need him to talk about it because one day he's going to pass away and not have talked about it, and I might cry. Anyway, um, I think he'll talk about it. Um, no. Um, what else? I I I would love to have invented something that's like helped people and been useful. But now I can't so I think, think of about anything this. that's actually useful to help people. But you know when like you see people cure for cancer. Well, I mean, yeah, but like just yeah, like you know when people are like who invented the defibrillator? That's probably like a bloody good person to know, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, like hundred percent. Like I was, I was like, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've got all mine. Like maybe, um, like. Imagine if you're the guy who made the wheel. You were the guy who thought of the wheel. Maybe if what if what if you were the guy that reinvented the wheel? <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> but the guy who invented the toaster. Surely that's the guy everyone loves. No one's got beef with the guy who made the toaster. I don't know. Like, I've I've always I've always had questions about all of these things. So like, you know, like microwaves, and and this is like this is this is like 
you're tuning in because you like it. The microwave, right? I genuinely have a theory, like, and I'm not nuts. I'm like, <laughs> he's got says everyone who's nuts. Hat on. <laughs> says everyone who's nuts. Um, yeah. But like, I have theories of like the the people people that the person that invented the microwave. The fact that we've had microwaves in households since like the 1960s, I think. What if like something like cancer was invent like was from microwaves but we don't know it yet or mobile phones say mobile phones right what if cancer was from like mobile phones and stuff and i i also like i I mentioned i don't know if i mentioned on the pod before like stuff like um tuberculosis right they used to think that tuberculosis was actually um from vampires so back in the day that's where the idea of vampires came from get this this is where the idea of vampires came from it was called they called it consumption and what when someone got tuberculosis, it would like basically suck the life force out of you, like, right. and it, you would get you would wither away. Now, if someone got tuberculosis now in 2020 or even 2010, you pretty much laugh in the face of death because it's it's a bit of a joke. Like, you just have some antibiotics and you're all good, mm. but it was like killing people for like generations and generations and generations. So now I think that we'd look back on cancer like in years t- time and what in 40 hope- years time look back at yeah. it and think about well yeah well, absolutely hopefully probably. laugh upon it and there'll be something know. else invented from from mobile phone usage from microwaves hitting our brain and we'd have there'll be something else but anyway yeah. that ain't about films is it unless you've watched microwave massacre um <laughs> which is a shocker uh one star right views by quinn writes in and he says and we've got a couple of these right he says, do you think it's fair to consider Ridley Scott one of the greatest, if not the greatest, sci-fi directors of all time? And who are some others you would place up there? John, Ridley Scott, he's a director and he has done some of the greatest sci-fi we've ever seen. I think he's done two of the greatest science fiction films ever made. I don't think people can question that. Blade Runner and Alien are two of the, like, it shaped science fiction genuinely did i think the other entries he's had have still been far superior than every other imitator that came along to try and copy that style whether we liked all the decisions in them or not is something else um and obviously i'm referring to prometheus and alien covenant but <laughs> but they are still in their own right very strong and very good other science fiction directors who i'd recommend i mean i really um Please, you, there's there's the, some there's one that I think is arguably are you gonna as go good for, as Ridley Scott. Are you gonna say George Lucas for the world he's created, or are you not gonna get out of town because no, no, you can't no. write characters? Um, I'll tell okay. you, no. Tell me someone else. Go on, go on. Let's let's play a game. Who am I thinking of? The Dennis Villeneuve probably for some of the brilliant science fiction films he's done. Um, up there, but someone way more iconic, I think. You're going to say James Cameron for Terminator 2 and Aliens. Um, James Cameron is in, is absolutely in the building. James Cameron's in the building. He's here, but he's still, for me, not quite as good because he hasn't done as many incredible films. Stanley Kubrick? Nope. I'm going to give you one, one more guess. I don't know. No, no, go. You, you tell me. Then you go home with nothing. No, you tell me. I have no idea. Steven goddamn Spielberg... Uh, yeah what are you doing saying oh yeah I th- my thing is with Spielberg is like come on John I, when I think of science fiction he's done them but like there's always a different element to it 
So, like, E.T. is a science fiction film, but it's not. It's about family. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... it's AI. It's, AI. Minority Have you seen report. AI yet? Have you Close seen... Encounters of the Third Kind. Have you seen AI yet? I've not seen AI yet. AI is very good. Yeah, um, but... He, pulls like, the heartstrings. Minority he, Report he is fantastic. Has, he's, yeah. done a lot, he's done a lot of good sci-fi films. The thing is, Steam Spielberg has done good films of anything, though, hasn't he? <laughs> like, find me a bad Spielberg. It take, it's hard to find them, right? Like, anyway. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think who else comes to mind. There's... It, I, I think for me, it's definitely Spielberg and James Cameron. But James, again, like James Cameron, he's 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 done um, the Abyss, which is, I guess, you could kind of say, yeah, is sci-fi. It's kind of sci-fi, yeah. Um, but Aliens, but he has he has too. he has done the two greatest sci-fi action films ever made. Yeah, I mean. There's no dispute with that. I think um, I know you dismissed Lucas there with his writing of characters, but that aside, like Alien wouldn't exist without Star Wars. Like it wouldn't have happened. And no, James, no, no. Listen, and, and genuinely, like James Cameron quit his job as a truck driver when he saw Star Wars because he felt like he'd been shafted that someone had done that idea before him. Listen, so it's I joke. like it's it staggers. Like there's so many films that that affect people in such a way where you know. I just said James Cameron was driving a truck and then one day stopped because he saw Star Wars and was like, my God, I need to get out there and do this stuff. It's So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the prequels yeah, are their no, own no. beast and we can have that chat another day, but just like... For... Yeah. Like, and and, and I know Quinn absolutely loves... Um, absolutely loves George Lucas and the uh, Star Wars franchise. That he, he very much has... He's created... Yeah, one of the one of the greatest, one of the best world franchises ever. One, like, of, the f- one of the best worlds ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, James Cameron. We are forgetting which everyone hates Avatar. I don't think you can deny it. Uh, Avatar didn't offend me at all. I mean, I, it, it's like everyone knows it's the dances with the walls plots, but it's not the first time it's happened. So it's Pocahontas, right? Like it's all. I've always been really dumb. Is Pocahontas actually an adaptation of that? Maybe oh, I don't whatever, know, you're asking but, the wrong person. Look, whatever. Like, it's not the first time that plot's been used, right? And it won't be the last time. So just, it's it's fine. Like, I, I still stand by probably one of my greatest ever cinema experiences was seeing Avatar in 3D for the first time. I don't think you'll ever yep, get that and back. I think we're in agreement. Um, even when I saw Prometheus, which I enjoyed, like, it, it still didn't... Avatar's just a gorgeous world you want to look around, like. So, Pandora, yep. is it? Uh, who is it pandora the planet yeah yeah that's it anyway um, sorry. so the, the the other director you mentioned was villeneuve and, and he's done blade runner 2049 he's done arrival arrival, arrival is brilliant and, uh, and and i don't think i'm that hot on it so i probably need to watch it again okay the I, I think that you i still find james cameron the fact that he did terminator 2 and aliens that's better for me than arrival and blade runner 2049 i would argue that the june the, no, no, no. I was going to say that. I'd argue with Villeneuve, however you say his name, is it's more so the fact that it's kind of intellectual sci-fi, was James Cameron, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it intellectual sci-fi? Uh, you, maybe you don't get it, Jamie. No. Maybe, maybe he's in a nutshell. Maybe you need to go back to school, mate. Um, no. It's intellectual sci-fi. I'm saying the fact of, like, Cameron hit on what worked for people, which was people like Ellen Ripley, they like the alien, let's make an action film, right? Yeah. Terminator 2, People like Linda Hamilton, boom, she's an action star. His, you know, his Arnold Schwarzenegger is a, a good Terminator. I don't one. get it. He, no, no, but it's it's he know he knew what would hit 
hit it off with people. Yeah. Villeneuve's not doing that. He's doing big sci-fi concepts. Intellectual sci-fi. It's a new genre. I stand by it. It's a new genre. It's a new genre. Jean. I'm gonna start calling you Jean. Jeanne. Um, (laughs) Right. Um, Jean Luc Picard. Anyway. Yeah. Well. No. Right. So the last question of the night is this, and it's from it's from Patch. Um, So, and this, and I've I've argued before about this. So he says, "Dear J and J." Who's first? Me. Smiley, smiley face and like the the thinking emoji. Um, I'm first. Um, Ridley Scott is said to be pretty inconsistent. Mm. What makes good consistent filmmaking? Who for you two is a super consistent filmmaker and how are they consistent? Wow. It's a lot to unpack. It's my edit week, so bear that in mind. Um, Ridley Scott is said to be pretty inconsistent right so f- I'm, first of all right I'm getting up his filmography right now I'm, I'm disagreeing so, I can so first of all I'm, and I have disagreed with this in the past an inconsistent filmmaker can I just I'm just going to say I'm going to go with this I'm going to say Kingdom of Heaven very very good Black Hawk Down director's cut though uh, Kingdom of Heaven director's cut very very good <laughs> We love director's cuts on the program. Me too. Black, Black Hawk Down, borderline masterpiece. Right, so that's one masterpiece. Hannibal, very good. Never going to never gonna live up to the original, but it's very good. Alien Covenant, yet yeah, forget it. Thelma and Louise, haven't seen it, heard it's a masterpiece. Now these four. Gladiator, The Martian, Alien, Blade Runner. Now, you're missing out some that I put in there, such as American Gangster, I think it's a very good film. American Gangster is very good. G.I. Jane. Good. I hadn't scored that far down. I haven't seen G.I. Jane, so I can't comment. I haven't seen it in years, actually. I need to but re-watch. what I will say is that when people say he's very hit or miss, what are you calling his misses? Are you saying Exodus, Gods of Kings are misses? You're probably right. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I've not seen it either, I must say. But I've, I've also got to say, like when you talk about Black Hawk Down, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Martian, Alien, Blade Runner. Six films that are like, people. a lot of people would consider like four or five star. I don't think you can call him inconsistent. I think the main thing is with Ridley is Fincher had this thing he said about what's the definition of a quality director? Is it someone that makes eight films and they're all eight great films? Or is it someone that's made 40 films that might challenge people in different ways, right? But, you know, they've consistently worked. So they've been successful because they've consistently produced. I thought it was a really interesting debate and Hitchcock was his example. He said Hitchcock only has four or five truly great films, but he has a lot of other ones. And he was kind of playing with the concept of how many can you be... Do you know what I mean? What I'm saying with consistency, how many can be your best if you're turning out that many? And I think really falls under that, potentially. I mean, yeah. the films you have listed are essentially the ones I would have listed. There's other films in there that I also like. But, um, yeah, I mean, films like The Counselor, I found a bit of a disappointment, but that's because... I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's got a really stellar cast. I kind of expected more from it. Uh, Body of Lies, I can't really remember. Again, that would have to be a rewatch because it's been years. But I don't know. Like, I've never seen a film and thought it was outright bad. If you know what I mean, and like, I think that's the thing that gets lost. Are is every film going to be Alien or Blade Runner? No, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not all going to have that impact. They can't. They it's can't. Impossible. No, they can't. So, and also, if you look at him, he's worked essentially, like, nearly every year since Alien. And before that, with the Duelist, he's released something. And also, he's known now for coming under budget. He's a big deal because he finishes on time, if not early, and under budget. So studios yeah. will still go for him because even though the project might be expensive, they know that actually he'll cut, he's experienced enough to bring it in and, and deliver the goods, whilst a younger director might not be able to. So I think yeah, that's absolutely. why he gets a lot of stuff over the line. But I, I yeah. I'm, so, yeah. So the question, right, then, was... Um, so we, we've I think we both decide that Ridley isn't inconsistent I I think like I don't believe he's inconsistent but it doesn't mean I love every single film he's done either but also like people say people say like for me inconsistent like means that you're really good and then you're not very good and I don't think he's very much he's not very good I don't think he's not very good I I think someone once said when Ridley has a good script it's a fantastic film if Ridley has a poor script he can't tell the difference and I, I, no, no, but sounds I, like George Lucas. Well, yeah, but he writes his own script, so that's different again. But what, what I, so I mean, you can't tell the difference. I think there is some truth to that statement because when there's a solid script, I think Ridley really delivers. I think when it gets messy, is like when you've got Lindelof coming in on Prometheus and saying, "Oh, a bit of mystery box here and a bit of this and a bit of that," and it gets more and more removed. Yeah, I think that's when he can struggle. And Ridley's always said he picked high caliber actors because he didn't want to give a lot of personal direction, and maybe that's changed later in his career, but he relied on them to do the heavy lifting, and he wanted to just concentrate on the framing and, and the look and the feel of the world, and I I think maybe sometimes if you don't cast the right people, maybe that doesn't come off as well. But yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah. In terms I of think... the, the diversity of his portfolio, though, in terms of, uh, sorry, his filmography with like doing something like Thelma and Louise or G.I. Jane after doing such like science fiction much like spielberg yeah i would say spielberg though is probably the benchmark of someone who adapts to any any genre and incredible smashes it if he did a rom-com tomorrow it would be the best rom do you know what i mean it would would be (laughs) the best rom. i say the same thing about scorsese though yeah i say that scorsese's done a myriad of films like he's done a children's film hugo he very much does new york gangster films we know he's he's famous for those but he he can also do um stuff like the king of comedy which is i i just Very think different. I, yeah he he's and the wolf of wall street which is not a gangster film it's a it's a drama about stocks it's got gangster elements though it's the rise and fall it's like yeah. scarface in a way i know yeah. it's not scorsese but it's that no. that's that's what i see it as when i watch it but anyway no, I don't personally believe he's inconsistent. I just think that he's been in the industry for a long time. Put it this way, his first film, The Duelists, was in... Let's have a look. Nine, well, Alien was 1979, so it was before then. Um, can't find it now. Duelists. Don't know where, I don't know when it was released, I'll be honest. I haven't really had a look myself. But... Well, anyway, from... From then until now, to have the amount of films he's got under his belt, I think. No, I, yeah, no complaints. I think, I think it's not a bad shout. I think James Cameron, um, Jack- again, we've mentioned mm. him, extremely consistent. Yeah, I mean, um, even the ones that I'm not as keen on aren't bad films, if you know what I mean. Um, nope. And yeah. then, obviously, I mean, I hate I hate to mention, because he's mentioned all the time, but there's a reason why he's mentioned David Fincher. 
Yeah, I, th- I think Finch is... Chris Nolan. Oh, do you know what? Christopher Nolan is a fair shout. I think he is very consistent. And I think even though... Even the even his, he's what he's going to be one of those that is held in like even his bad ones are good are pretty good like do you know I want to go back to Tenet because I've seen some reappraisals like after the hype's calmed down and people being actually nope. like no not feeling it I really really disliked it it, it make it makes no sense um, I thought I was understanding it for a bit and then it makes no sense he, I, I think he did it for himself that film anyway I I can't mention Tarantino because although he's Although every single one of his films is consistent, I I can't say that he's um, he doesn't he's not very broad in his his genres. Like it, it, they're all quite very quite safe, aren't they? Yes, that's so fair. he's got a, he's like they're all very of a similar style. Whereas if you look at if you look at Spielberg, they're so vast and so varied. Scorsese's so so varied. We always mention these directors. You can even mention like Kurosawa, really really consistent like. Most of his films are amazing. Can you imagine if Christopher Nolan did like a rom com? Like, just... it'd be terrible. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be like the only rom com he's capable of doing is Serendipity. No, he, he, do, he no, do... sorry, no, 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 wrong one. Sliding Doors. Okay. You know when yeah, like yeah, you yeah, do yeah. like a, something involved with time, time. and it'd be like, yeah. oh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, enough on that. Um, yeah, I mean, trying to wrap this up in my mind in terms of what we've talked about with the sense of like I, the thing I like about really Scott films is even if even if they like call it inconsistency or what but if they challenge with ideas that maybe that wouldn't go out in other films then surely that's better than just doing the status quo so I, I guess the what we've decided patch is that no Ridley isn't inconsistent and we, we've we've like I say we've had this chat before um, but then we've we've also spoken to you about who we think is consistent and maybe we could have mentioned some other directors that have done i don't know some some smaller films but um what the most important takeaway is next episode which is going to be the beginning of halloween month Ooh, spooky johnny and i've written a little jingle for next uh for the next episode we're not going to play it tonight but we've written a little jingle for next episode for the spooky month john Mm. Episode 22, we've decided we're going to do creature feature episode. Okay. We're going to do like visual effects, creature feature, Halloween. We're going to say, um, we're going to do The Thing from John Carpenter. You haven't seen it? No, I've not seen The Thing. I've seen clips of it, unfortunately, because of the internet, but The Thing and... We're going to do The Fly. Again, one of David Cronenberg. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Oh my goodness, Gina Davis. It's actually, it's going to be a showstopper. So you can look forward to that at the beginning of October. As always, guys, please open your Apple device, whether it be a Mac, laptop. Um, I don't know why I call it a Mac laptop, but here we are. Um, Open your iPhones, open your Apple podcasts, rate us five stars. We only accept five stars. Cross it off on your bingo card. If you're going to rate us any less than five stars, please don't bother. But give us the feedback privately. Um, <laughs> you can write in um, move at moviesinapodshell at gmail.com. Send us your emails. Write it in. We love to hear from you. John, as per usual, you are available and you have been at jcb.video. 
And I have been at Movies in a Nutshell. See you for the spooky Halloween episode. How annoying. That's a wrap. See you later. Bye.